0: The new season of Famous Fates, titled Falls from Grace, is underway. Every Wednesday, we feature two new episodes that focus on a different scandalous figure from history. If you enjoy today's episode, head over to the Famous Fates feed and subscribe. These episodes are free and only available on Spotify. Coming up, the unsavory story of American televangelist Jim Baker, who used his sweeping charisma to cover up his many crimes until everything came crashing down. If you'd like to hear today's other episode on Jimmy Swaggart, who was Baker's peer in televangelism and transgressions, subscribe to the Famous Fates feed on Spotify today.
1: Jim Baker was God's charming, jovial, open-hearted representative on earth, as far as 1970s Christian TV viewers were concerned. The way he could burst into tears on air at any given moment, surely it was the product of an enormous,
0: enlightened heart. So his viewers sent him letters gushing with thanks for his spiritual guidance, and they tucked generous checks inside, What better cause to support than the word of God?
1: But most people would be hard-pressed to file Jim Baker's expenditures as anything related to the word of God. He didn't just buy boats, cars, and designer clothing. He also bought silence from the woman he'd violently sexually assaulted.
0: Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson.
1: And I'm Carter Roy.
0: And this is season two of Famous Fates Falls from Grace. This season, we're examining once revered historical figures whose stories ended in less than savory ways. Every week, we're bringing you two episodes examining the lives of two fascinating people in the same industry.
1: They were beloved for their incredible accomplishments until they were reviled for their sins.
0: This week, we're delving into the fraught lives of America's iconic televangelists, starting with the infamous Jim Baker. He built a Christian theme park the likes of Disneyland and launched a satellite into space so he could preach the word of God to everyone, everywhere, all the time. But when Jim's cooked books and sexual proclivities worked their way onto the television screens he thought he owned, not even his larger-than-life fame could save him from disgrace.
2: We'll dig into his story right after this. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be.
0: New season, out on Spotify soon. In the mid-70s, many religious speakers lit up the airwaves every week, broadcasting their message to just about every community in America. Collectively, they were known as the Electric Church, and the church was in its heyday.
1: There were scores of charismatic preachers in color wheel suits and thick-framed glasses. The TV network execs were cashing in on the trend and funding the construction of new megachurches and film studios fully dedicated to preachers. Meanwhile, Christian audiences sent in cash donations to their favorite on-screen representatives of God.
0: On the morning of January 2nd, 1978, Jim Baker of the Assemblies of God cemented his place as the king of those favorites when he broke ground on his very own Christian theme park. Heritage USA would be the name for his 2,300 acre plot of land in Fort Mill, South Carolina.
1: Jim had timed the event to coincide with his 38th birthday. In a scene from the documentary, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, Jim beamed as he made his way through the construction site. It was only water pipes and some electrical wiring for now, but Jim saw beyond that. He was imagining something the likes of the Magic Kingdom at Disney World, but more in line with the Kingdom of God on Earth. Tammy said Jim knew that his followers needed to see it. He wanted them to actually be there.
0: Heritage USA was just the cherry on top of a soaring career. Jim and his wife, Tammy Faye, were two of the earliest adopters of televangelism, blazing a trail that so many others were eager to follow. They had struck gold in 1974 by presenting Christian America's answer to late-night talk TV, the PTL Club, short for Praise the Lord.
2: And prepare to fade to camera three, fade to camera three, cue the
0: audience. It did so well that by 1978, they had their very own PTL network. Their success was all about
1: style. Rather than rely on dour sermons from a bygone era, Jim cracked jokes to a live audience from behind his desk like a Pentecostal Johnny Carson. Tammy Faye, nicknamed First Lady of Televangelism, co-hosted the show, leading the PTL singers in soaring modern renditions of old church songs.
0: They also provided drama. Jim talked audience members through spiritual crises and made his audiences cry, just as much as he made them laugh.
1: It was no different the day he announced that he'd broken ground on Heritage USA.
0: The PTL cameras cut to a shot of the station's senior vice president, Roger Flessing, climbing the heights of a water tower on the park grounds. Jim wanted his audience to see his vision and start planning their vacations immediately. But that's not all he wanted them to see.
1: Flessing, now at the top of the tower, was midway through a description of the Heritage USA project when suddenly he slipped. The cameras caught him falling a few seconds before hitting the ground hard.
0: Little did the audience know, an assistant had dropped a dummy dressed to look like him from the tower. It was all part of Jim Baker's show.
1: The audience exploded as Jim said farewell for the cameras. Calls fluttered in all day asking if Flessing was okay
0: and if they could support their favorite network by buying tickets to Heritage USA.
1: Everything seemed to be going perfectly. Jim's showmanship wasn't flagging. His vision for Heritage USA, the ultimate monument of televangelist success, was chugging forward without a hitch. And with Tammy Faye's warm charm backing him up, his audience was in heaven.
0: But things were far more complicated behind the scenes.
1: Jim Baker may have been a saint to his followers on TV, but people in the industry knew him differently. Single-minded would be putting it mildly. He was obsessively controlling when it came to PTL, and if you challenged him or his vision for the ministry, he would take it personally.
0: This applied to even the smallest aesthetic choices. Once in 1966, a producer at CBN, the Christian Broadcast Network, scheduled a live band to play Bob Dylan's Like a Rolling Stone. Jim stormed out of the studio and led the camera crew to boycott.
1: From that day on, all music choices went through Jim. But by 1978, in the opening of Heritage USA, there were bigger things to control, like money.
0: Now that PTL was a national sensation, its board of directors decided they needed a more organized approach to finances. They couldn't just let Jim run through the ministry's donations however he wanted. It was a small problem with a simple solution. They would bring on more managers and bookkeepers. But for Jim, it was a crisis
1: a bunch of near strangers were cracking open his books and telling him what he could and couldn't spend money on. Worst of all, before the park was even opened, they were telling him the network didn't have enough funds to make Heritage USA the sprawling, epic experience he had envisioned. He wanted to build a city on a hill for all the world to see. They were telling him to make do with a few roller coasters in a field.
0: So he put his foot down and kept pouring money into construction.
1: By the middle of 1978, PTL was accruing debt at a staggering clip. A local paper, the Charlotte Observer, placed the figure at $4 million and counting. The Board of Directors called a meeting to discuss the problem on June 20,
0: 1978. Jim would not hear of any cuts to the Heritage USA budget, but when the board asked for his final position on the matter, he had a brutal answer ready. Fire 100 PTL staffers, about a seventh of the company, to make up the difference.
1: Of course, Jim never fired anyone personally if he could avoid it it made him uncomfortable. And there was no reason for him to be uncomfortable. After all, he was still the king of televangelism. In fact, he deserves some earthly rewards for his labor. Three weeks after the board meeting, he put a $6,000 down payment on a $30,000 houseboat.
0: Jim had spent extravagantly before, After all, the donations to the ministry had always been under his control. For all intents and purposes, it was his money. But in light of the recent firings, this time, the local papers took note.
1: The Charlotte Observer reported on the boat with indignation. And journalists started to get really critical when a few months later, angry PTL staffers leaked the news that, at the same time as his purchase— Jim had withheld cash from the Employee Retirement Fund.
0: It was becoming uncomfortably obvious that he considered all PTL donations his own personal slush fund and saw his employees as dispensable.
1: Not particularly godly behavior. In fact, spending donations to a tax-exempt religious organization on personal expenses is illegal. PTL, as far as the local news was concerned... Stood for Pass the loot.
0: Jim, infuriated, launched into action. He wasn't afraid of a few newspaper articles or even an FCC investigation. After all, he could tell a better story. A story about anti-Christian sentiment in the media. He spread the message on local radio and other televangelist shows. On his own show, he sobbed and called all criticism of his spending lies propagated by the enemies of the ministry.
1: The performance worked. His flock dismissed any suspicions they'd started harboring and sent Jim and his ministry more money than ever. The phone banks on the set of his show rang off the hooks with donations as Jim wiped his eyes and shot his winning smile to the cameras.
0: It was a miraculous save, but it left Jim more paranoid about his authority Instead of responding by addressing his own financial conduct, he launched internal investigations into anyone he thought could subvert his power, weeding out the leakers and discontents. By the end of 1979, he was constantly on edge. He fell into dark moods that would last for weeks, and even Tammy was at a loss for what to do.
1: Tammy blamed PTL and the ballooning size of the operation. Though she benefited from donations to the network as much as her husband, she told Jim she would be happy stepping things
0: back so they could spend more time together. He wasn't interested. In fact, her issues with PTL only alienated Jim further. If Tammy Faye didn't maintain and defend his vision for the ministry, didn't want to see it growing all the time, it was the same as working against him.
1: To avoid the naysayers, Jim surrounded himself with people that would support him no matter the circumstances. One of these sycophants was another evangelical preacher with a flair for the dramatic John Wesley Fletcher.
0: Fletcher became a regular on PTL in the late 70s. He had a way of connecting with audiences that Jim respected. And soon enough, Fletcher was connecting with Jim himself by supporting whatever new project Jim was working on and helping him fundraise to boot.
1: Slowly, Jim started avoiding Tammy by taking on more and more work trips around the country with Fletcher. Eventually, according to Fletcher, their connection developed into a sexual relationship. But they took care to make sure no one found out. A revelation would ruin them both.
0: Meanwhile, Jim's ambitions grew higher. He made plans to purchase TV equipment for a PTL station in Korea, another in Brazil, and yet another in Cyprus. Nothing on Earth ever seemed to be enough.
1: Which may have been why he turned his eyes to the heavens. On a warm Carolina day in late 1978, Jim Baker became one of the first men and the earliest preachers to send a
0: satellite into space. This huge step allowed Jim to spread his gospel around the clock, reportedly broadcasting to 40 different countries. For a modern religious figure, that kind of reach was almost unheard of. It gave Jim a sense of historic purpose that soon made its way into every sermon and every business decision. Jim told the media that the PTL network will be broadcasted continuously from now until the second coming of Jesus Christ.
1: Jim might have bought that idea himself, but for all the money he was pulling in, his bookkeepers knew that he was spending far more. And if an audit came, they wouldn't be able to account for all those expenditures legally.
0: Up next, Jim tackles new enemies left and right, including the feds.
2: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit AnytimeFitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story.
0: It was the summer of 1979, and Jim and Tammy Faye Baker were more estranged than ever. While taping an episode of PTL, Jim asked Tammy what things she wanted most in life. Totally unscripted, she said she wanted Jim to say he loved her. She wanted him to put his arm around her in the middle of the day.
1: Jim was shocked, perhaps not at the sentiment, but because she had spoiled whatever he was going to say next.
0: The Bakers tried marriage counseling a few months later, which was a disaster. Tammy revealed that, with Jim always traveling, she had considered starting a relationship with a songwriter named Gary Paxton, who produced music for PTL.
1: Jim erupted. He started calling Paxton repeatedly, demanding he admit to sleeping with Tammy.
0: It's likely that Paxton and Tammy were only close friends, But once Jim saw himself as the victim, he could not be stopped. He spread the rumor about Paxton and his wife to PTL management, painting himself as the unappreciated breadwinner for his family. This jealous smear campaign was the most energy he put into his marriage in years.
1: Things only worsened as Jim's foreign ministry projects missed deadlines.
0: Though he blamed everyone from PTL vice presidents down to his foreign contractors, this was his fault more than anyone else's. He was robbing Peter to pay Paul, diverting donated money for the foreign projects back to improvements for Heritage USA, then disguising it all. PTL's higher-ups must have known something suspicious was going on.
1: However, when board members pushed back against Jim... He would threaten to quit and leave them to handle the debt without his fundraising power. He reminded them over and over that he himself was PTL. Without him, none of it worked. Jim had turned the Praise the Lord Club into a financial hostage situation, and his behavior was about to spiral even further out of control.
0: December 6, 1980, a 21-year-old church secretary named Jessica Hahn arrived at the Sheridan Sand Key Hotel in Clearwater Beach, Florida. John Fletcher had promised her a one-on-one meeting and a job with THE Jim Baker and his wife Tammy Faye. Hahn had become obsessed with PTL in recent years, watching every day. She held up Jim's self-help book. Eight Keys to Success as a Blueprint for Her Own Life.
1: Fletcher led Hahn up to a room. The PTL staff were in Florida for a fundraising telethon meant to inject cash into the International Ministries Project and Heritage USA improvements.
0: And Jim, as Fletcher explained to Jessica, was in a really tough place, not just with the business, but with his family life. Tammy Faye was likely cheating. Jim wasn't getting his needs met.
1: Jessica was shocked. She didn't want to think of the Bakers this way. She still saw Jim and Tammy the way they looked on TV, an ideal couple living the good life in God's name.
0: This view would quickly change. Jessica recalls Fletcher becoming nasty and dominating as soon as she entered her hotel room. Right away, he pushed a glass of white wine into her hands. As she drank, she became increasingly dizzy, way out of proportion with the wine. After she was left alone for a moment to shower and get dressed, Fletcher made his way back into the room with Jim.
1: Han remembers Jim acting very hyper. He wore a revealing white terry cloth bathing suit and kept rubbing his legs in a weird manic way. He repeated the details Fletcher had dropped about separating from Tammy. Then, he told her that Tammy Faye had gotten too heavy for his taste and couldn't satisfy him anymore.
0: Fletcher sat off to the side, watching everything. He passed Jessica a bottle of lotion and told her to give Jim a massage. When she complained to the two men about her foggy mental state, trying to diffuse the situation, Jim told her... Jessica, you're going to be doing something tremendous for God.
1: Later, Jessica told friends in the media that Jim Baker tore her clothes off and had sex with her. Afterwards, Jim left the room, and Fletcher told a distraught Jessica that she just saved PTL.
0: The callous patronization did nothing to make Jessica feel better, so Fletcher changed his strategy He threatened and attacked Jessica, throwing her to the floor and hitting her until she was quiet. He also raped her. The line she remembered was, you're not going to remember Jim Baker, you're going to remember me.
1: This incident, unlike the sexual relationship Fletcher eventually claimed he was having with Jim, did not remain a secret. Over the next few weeks, multiple parts of the ministry worked together on a thorough cover-up job. PTL's leaders harassed Jessica into signing a letter that made the encounter sound like her fault. It's hard to tell who at PTL knew what, but through a combination of selective blindness by some and cynical self-interest by others, Ministry officials arranged to have Jessica paid $279,000 in hush money out of church funds.
0: The cover-up worked. For now. With the highest reaches of PTL conspiring to make sure nothing got out, and Jim willing to go to war with anyone who opposed him, Jessica Hahn would have to wait seven years to have her story told. Until then, Jim would have to deal with his newest enemy, the U.S. government.
1: By launching a satellite and announcing a foreign expansion of his TV network, Jim had piqued the interest of the Federal Communications Commission, especially in light of the Charlotte Observer's 1978 report about his suspicious spending.
0: But the real coup de grace came in 1979, when Observer reporters found out about the cash getting lost on the way to the foreign ministries. They found $337,000 unaccounted for, and correctly guessed Jim had illegally put it back into his theme park scheme. Staffers in Korea, Brazil, and Cyprus were left high, dry, and jobless on promises Jim couldn't come close to fulfilling.
1: The FCC started an investigation in March of 1979 and Jim responded with a strategy he seemed to be honing more every day, playing the victim.
0: Crying to his audience had been a great fundraising tool for years. Now it became a legal defense. Jim cried to his supporters and to FCC investigators for the outrageous overreach into his business affairs.
1: In reality, the FCC was simply doing its job. Some commentators expected PTL to strike a deal and pay a
0: fine. Jim had another plan in mind. In a newsletter where he compared the FCC to despots, he told his audiences that Hitler gained control because the good people, the Christians, didn't take a stand. There are leaders in our country today that want to bring all religion under government control and take everything that speaks of morality and decency off of television.
1: On TV, Jim's paranoia played incredibly well. PTL turned its defiance into a slew of opportunities to get even more cash out of its followers. The Bakers starred in fundraising spots that were more like a call to arms— with Jim asking for support and donations over the chorus of the Battle Hymn of the Republic.
0: Bizarrely, his evasion tactics seemed to work. By 1982, the three-year FCC investigation came to a lackluster close. There was one major casualty, PTL Vice President Robert Manzano, who Jim claimed should be blamed for PTL's foreign mission failures. He was forced to resign in 1978.
1: So how did Jim escape? Reporting by The Observer found that high-ranking FCC officials had substantially watered down the report on PTL and declined to hold public hearings with the bakers. The case was shot before it was really even opened. Lawrence Bernstein, the FCC's lead lawyer on the case, resigned in disgust. He knew it was all because of Ronald Reagan.
0: Christian TV icons like Jim and Tammy were part of an alliance of highly influential pastors who helped propel Reagan's campaign to victory in 1980. They were the mouthpieces of the Moral Majority, a powerful political coalition of Republicans and Christian communities that put conservatives in power all over the country.
1: It would take more than a few accounting mistakes for evangelicals or the Reagan administration to turn their backs on Jim and Tammy. Of course, that might have changed if Jessica Hahn's story saw the light of day.
0: Up next, Jim Baker's house of cards finally comes tumbling down. Now, back to the story. In
1: 1986, the FCC was in Jim Baker's rearview mirror. The Charlotte Observer kept dredging up documents and interviews pointing to gaping holes in PTL's budget, but no action was ever taken against the ministry. Even the Observer's own writers were getting tired of telling the same story over and over.
0: The Bakers, though hardly talking to each other at this point, felt secure in their place on the Heritage USA grounds. By 1986, six million visitors traveled to the park every year. Heritage USA was the third biggest theme park in the United States, gaining on Walt Disney World and Disneyland. Still, it was horribly managed, with Jim cooking the books and threatening action against anyone who opposed him.
1: Now more than ever, Jim and Tammy Faye let their spending run wild. The loot they had taken in the 70s looked like pennies compared to what they shelled out in the mid-80s. According to the Washington Post's Art Harris in 1989, their purchases included... Not one, but
0: two Rolls Royces. A $45,000 Mercedes-Benz a $12,500 Mazda for Tammy Sue, then not old enough to drive,
1: a $500,000 Florida condo, a $120,000 a year interior designer,
0: gold-plated bathroom
1: faucets, endless designer suits and dresses for the couple,
0: and much more, all on top of multiple half-million-dollar bonuses that Jim granted himself all
1: thanks to charitable Christian donations.
0: Enter preacher Jimmy Swaggart, a Pentecostal provocateur out of Baton Rouge. He'd become a sensation in televangelism with his show, A Study in the Word. Swaggart
1: blasted Jim for practices he called totally unscriptural. He derided him as little more than a cheap showman Peddling a philosophy that led his adherents nowhere, had Christians gone crazy? True men of God didn't own water parks.
0: Behind the scenes, Jimmy Swaggart and his allies began asking dangerous questions. He wasn't just looking for evidence of Jim's business malfeasance. He was asking PTL staff about quote the girls.
1: Throughout 1986. Swaggart and his team flew his private jet all over the country to grill anyone that knew anything.
0: Swaggart went so far as to corner PTL's executive director, Richard Dortch in a Baton Rouge Hilton in September 1986. Dortch lied and said he knew nothing about the girls as they related to Jim Baker.
1: According to Jim Wigger's book, PTL, The rise and fall of Jim and Tammy Faye Baker's evangelical empire, Swaggart brazenly pressed on. Well, what about the boys?
0: This was Jim's closest-held secret. Not even Dorch had heard about that. When news of Swaggart's question got back to Jim, it was like a gut punch— Only one other person on earth knew about the boys, and that was the boy in question, John Fletcher. If Swaggart had gotten Fletcher talking, that meant Swaggart had just about everything. Jessica Hahn, the finances, everything.
1: In fact, Swaggart had sat down with Fletcher a few weeks prior, and for whatever reason, Fletcher had talked.
0: Jim spent weeks in a paranoid haze. He obsessed over Swaggart, who he was sure was aiming to rip PTL away from him. He could talk about little else with his staff.
1: Meanwhile, Swaggart shared his findings with other ministries. He sought out the leader of the Moral Majority, Jerry Falwell Sr. himself, for his political clout. Falwell, the fundamentalist Baptist based out of Lynchburg, Virginia, was perhaps the most well-connected evangelical in America.
0: Unfortunately for Jim, Falwell took a keen interest in the case. He spoke out loudly and often against the sin of homosexuality. So the charge that Jim was having sex with men was especially damning.
1: Falwell dedicated his own resources to an investigation of Jim sending his staff traveling to other ministries to tape interviews. Swaggart, meanwhile, wanted to confront Jim head on and have him publicly confess. Members of Swaggart's team leaked information about the Hahn affair to that eternal thorn in Jim's side, the Charlotte Observer.
0: Falwell had a different strategy in mind. Sit and wait for the right moment. He dropped a line to Richard Dorch, letting him know about the forthcoming Observer story. Then through Dorch, Falwell set up a meeting with Jim.
1: By early March, 1987, Jim got himself together enough to try and play defense. He and his board decided they would have to come clean about the Jessica Hahn affair to stop more from coming out.
0: But if Jim was going to admit to his affair on TV, first he had to admit it to his wife finally on march 16th in their palm springs mansion jim told tammy about jessica hahn
1: tammy flew into a rage screaming that she had never denied jim anything that he was selfish and stupid beyond belief jim laid on the couch in his sitting room and faced tammy's fury in uncomfortable silence when she was finished Jim shot himself in another room.
0: At this crucial moment, Jerry Falwell got his meeting. On March 17th, he sat down in a Palm Springs hotel suite with a terrified and worn-down Jim, fresh from yesterday's admission.
1: Falwell offered to use his influence to protect Jim from Swaggart in return for Jim's transparency. What did Swaggart have on him? Really, Falwell already knew quite well.
0: But he listened intently as Jim admitted to having sex with Han in 1980. Her consent was not in question, Jim stressed. In fact, he claimed she had pushed herself on him while he protested. It was such a traumatic experience for him that he had collapsed in the shower afterward, crying, I've been with a whore.
1: Jim must have been relieved when Falwell seemed to believe him, not pressing any further. His performance, as usual, seemed to be doing wonders. In fact, he was confident enough that he asked Falwell for a favor.
0: He wanted Falwell to take over all of his positions at PTL until the rumors settled down. Falwell's connections could protect PTL until Jim was ready to return.
1: Falwell, stunned, accepted the offer
0: on the spot. He couldn't have hoped for a better end to the conversation.
1: Two days later, the Observer dropped their latest bombshell. Jim Baker was resigning.
0: In a prearranged phone call interview, Jim announced to the media that he would be stepping down from PTL for the time being to be immediately replaced by Falwell, he mentioned the incident with Hahn, painting himself as the victim.
1: A media frenzy ensued, with most major news outlets carrying the story for weeks. Jim and Tammy waited for the story to pass.
0: It didn't. A grand jury was convened to look into the claims made about Jim's connection with Jessica Hahn, Since Jim paid for silence out of ministry funds, there would be further investigation into PTL's books.
1: While that 16-month process got underway, the rumors about Jim's sex life launched endless media investigations and stories. Penthouse published an interview with John Fletcher where he claimed to have reluctantly had sex with Jim several times. He told the reporter... I was Jim Baker's male prostitute.
0: Jim responded with a series of interviews, looking increasingly desperate as he denied the allegations over and over.
1: But at least Falwell was in charge of PTL and would protect him on that front. So he hoped.
0: The hope was misplaced. Falwell was determined to wipe the moral majority of Jim Baker's stain, and he was using his position leading PTL to do it. His staff started digging through PTL's books, uncovering the criminal mismanagement Jim had been getting away with for years, and the church donations that Jim had used to enrich himself personally. From 1984 to 1986 alone, Jim had spent $40 million more than he made.
1: In a sensational press conference on May 27th, Falwell took apart the Bakers with a detailed dossier on Jim and a wrath akin to that of an angry God. He raged that Jim either has a terrible memory or is very dishonest or he is emotionally ill.
0: He told the primetime TV audience that he had heard taped statements from several men, probably including Fletcher, about Jim's homosexual advances. He urged Jim to seek help and pray for salvation.
1: Falwell also recounted a conversation he had with a PTL staffer who had been in the hotel in Clearwater the same night as Jessica Hahn. Jim reportedly asked this man, Did you get her too? red-faced, Falwell addressed Jim through the camera, Jim, that made my blood boil.
0: Finally, he demanded that Jim give back the millions of dollars that have been taken from the coffers of PTL at the cost of widows and supporters and people who have sacrificially built this Christian ministry.
1: To show where that money was being spent, he then read a letter that Tammy had written outlining her conditions for leaving the ministry. She had demanded a golden parachute, including lifetime salaries for her and Jim, lawyer fees, and a lake house. Falwell fumed. It's hard to see any repentance there. I see the greed. I see the self-centeredness. I see the avarice that brought them down.
0: Tammy sat next to Jim on the couch, watching Falwell's press conference on TV. At the end, Jim looked at her, glassy-eyed, and said with dismal certitude, It's all over. I've been had.
1: And things were about to get worse.
0: The law finally came for Jim in 1989. On August 30th, he watched as a former PTL executive testified against him, exposing Baker's financial misdeeds.
1: As Jim sat at the front of the courtroom, the faces of the judge, jury, and press suddenly morphed into a mass of giant bugs. Their words became unintelligible. He could only think enough to flee the room and hide in the fetal position under the couch in his attorney's office.
0: He was placed in a psychiatric ward for six days. Afterwards, when he emerged to take the stand, he looked like a shell of his former self. The showman was gone. He had no tears left to shed, and no vision of the future left to hold on to.
1: On October 5th, 1989... Jim Baker was convicted of eight counts of mail fraud, 15 counts of wire fraud, and one count of conspiracy. Surprising just about everyone in the room, the judge sentenced Jim to a whopping 45 years in prison. During sentencing, the judge remarked, those of us who do have a religion are ridiculed as being saps from money-grubbing preachers or priests.
0: But against all odds, Jim would live to fight again. He hired Harvard University's Alan Dershowitz to take the lead on his appeal. Dershowitz was able to prove that the judge allowed his religious beliefs to play a factor in the severity of his sentence.
1: Which is how the U.S. court system's commitment to secularity knocked 40 years off the televangelist's jail time. After receiving parole in 1994... Jim had only served five years.
0: This didn't mean Jim was out with a clean slate. The Assemblies of God defrocked him before his sentencing for conduct unbecoming of a minister. Tammy, who had tried her best to stick with Jim through just about everything, finally ended their marriage in 1992 during Jim's second year in prison.
1: Under the guidance of Falwell, PTL had already declared Chapter 11 bankruptcy in 1987. Heritage USA, the sprawling monument to Jim's delusions of grandeur, was closed permanently in 1989. And when Jim got out of prison in 1994, he was reportedly on the hook to the IRS for $6 million.
0: A more pious man might have looked upon the ashes of what he built with some remorse, but that was not exactly Jim's style.
1: In the years that followed, he distanced himself from the prosperity gospel he espoused in the 70s, but doubled down on paranoia. Mix in some loose interpretation of scripture with a special focus on the book of Revelation, and he had his newest offering to the world,
0: Doomsday Preparedness Christianity Style.
1: Since 2003, Jim and his second wife, Minister Lori Baker, have hosted their own show from a studio in Missouri. The prophetic couple sells buckets of pricey, non-perishable food that will get Jim's followers through the coming apocalypse. With Jim hardly pretending to preach the Word of God anymore... His show has the look and feel of a home shopping network.
0: He makes a living, but it's a long way from the days of satellites and theme parks, launched on the dollars of the pious and in the name of Jim Baker.
1: Jim's story bears all the markings of a New Testament cautionary parable. Greed, egotism, lust, and selfishness acted as corruptive forces and misled God's flock. But it's not the only story in the televangelist world with that arc.
0: Undying ambition happens to be a key characteristic of the next man we're covering on Falls from Grace, the crusading preacher who helped take down the Bakers, Jimmy Swaggart.
1: Like Jim Baker, Jimmy Swaggart rode his charisma to the top of the televangelist world until he was caught red-handed with a Baton Rouge sex worker. Thanks again for tuning in to Falls from Grace.
0: You can find more episodes of Falls from Grace and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. We'll be back next week with another story of remarkable success and even more remarkable downfall.
1: Falls from Grace was created by Max Cutler and is a Paracast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Jay Cohen, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Falls from Grace was written by Henry Englert, with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher, and stars Vanessa Richardson and Carter Roy.